The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Uh, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel says this, The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? I didn't call. Eli replied, Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. Uh, and Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? I didn't call my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will cause everyone who hears about it to shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out, either by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called to him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you, Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from Eli. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do whatever he thinks is good. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he fulfilled everything Samuel's prophecies. Uh, every, yeah, everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we go through this that you would speak. For your servants are listening, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. There have been many times in my life in which I probably should have been killed or at least seriously, seriously injured. One of those times was when I was about 10 years old. I had a job as a paper boy in my neighborhood. 
had a fairly large uh, route around our neighborhood, and so what we would typically do is uh, we would uh, roll the newspapers and, and stuff them into the paper bags and all the extra ones we'd put into our van, and, and uh, either my mom or my dad would drive us to one of the corners of the blocks and, and would go up and down and then meet them back at the place that they uh, dropped us off. And there was one particular day uh, in which I got out of the van, and I must have been in a hurry for, for some reason, I don't remember what it was, but I got out, I slid the door open, slid the door shut, and I, I run in front of the van, and I hear my mom yell my name, and you know, which I obviously ignored. Um, and then she yelled my name again more forcefully, in which I gave the quintessential kid's response, What? And just as I stopped to say that, a car came flying by right in front of me that I didn't see because I was in front of the van. Had I not heard those words or my mom calling out to me, uh, that car would have struck me and as a 10-year-old boy would have you know, either been killed or I would have uh, seriously been maimed. And our text this morning brings us to a time in which uh, the people of God, the people of Israel, were in the ICU because they had been running in front of the van and they had not heard the call of God to stop doing what they were doing. They had done so for so long that God had seemingly stopped calling out to them. In Judges chapter 21, it gives us the context of what life was like. It says that everyone in those days, there was no king, that everyone just did whatever they felt right to them. There was no godly leadership that was leading the people in righteousness. The priestly family was rife with uh, corruption. The two uh, ranking priests were stealing sacrifices from the common people as well as the sacrifices that belonged to God. They were even engaging in sexual immorality within the, uh, the very presence of God in the sanctuary where the ark was located. Their father Eli was afraid to stop them or he just simply didn't care. And as we're going to see here in a minute, verse 1 tells us the result of, of this. It says, in those days the word of the Lord was rare. And uh, prophetic visions were not widespread. And so even in the midst of a dark and seemingly silent time, God's voice was still speaking. It might be quiet and soft, but out of his covenantal love for his people, God makes himself known to Samuel. And while God's voice speaks out, of, uh, uh, speaks out of the silent, Samuel, as the prophet, has the obligation to obey the word of the Lord. And what we're going to find in this text, that we, like Samuel's day, live in a time in which the word of God is not widespread. And it is rare but yet we who have been called by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ still have the responsibility to hear his voice and to be obedient to it. And so the first thing that we find in our, in our text today is that we need to check the value of the word of God. We need to check the value of the word of God. Verse 1 tells us what chapter 2 verse 11 and 2.18 have already told us. That Samuel is growing and serving in the presence of Eli. Uh, serving the Lord in the presence of Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. Verse 1 continues on. And prophetic visions were not widespread. And what that means is that divine communication 
was very infrequent. It wasn't well known. So whereas at the time of Moses and Joshua and in some of the, the judges, God communicated to his people uh, both in, in word through prophets and in his actions. But things have gotten so bad that any form of any divine communication has essentially been cut off. This very verse may have been what the writers of Proverbs 29.18 uh, was getting at, which is a highly misinterpreted verse. In the King James Version, we see that where there is no vision, the people perish. And I have heard message and sermon after sermon about how this verse is about uh, how churches need to have a corporate vision for where the church needs to go and how the church needs to function corporately. But Proverbs 29.18 is not saying anything about how to lead a 501c3 corporation in America. Rather, it is talking about the Word of God. It is about the lack of God revealing Himself. If there is no communication between God and His people, they perish. It's why the CSB renders it this way. Without revelation, people run wild. And this characterizes the, the, the cultural context of the time of Samuel. And it also characterizes the times of you and I. I assure you that there is absolutely no lack of churches here in the United States of America right now. But there is certainly a lack of the Word of God in those pulpits. A number of years ago, before I was a pastor, uh, Julie and I went to a mainline denomination for Easter. And during the, uh, the Easter homily, the, the lady preacher had a lot to say about flowers and ducks and things growing. But not one word in that homily was there about the resurrection of Jesus. Not even the mention of Jesus' name came from the pulpit that day. We have churches, even conservative ones by definition, that are ready to help you have a better life and will have message after message about, uh, uh, with cute titles about how to this or how to that. But rare is the church that will open up the Bible and speak not only to the cultural moment, but will also speak to the condition of our souls and our need for God's grace. Rare is the church that will open up a, the Word of God on a Sunday morning or, or any other time during the week and speak not only to our personal brokenness, but also our sinful nature. Rare is the church that will open up the Scriptures and expose those parts of ourselves that we would rather not uh, look upon, but will also declare the remedy for such desperation, Jesus Christ and his gospel. But not only does this speak to how the word of God is rare in our cultural and corporately here in the church, it also speaks to how rare it is in our individual lives. Look with me in verse 2. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was located. Now, it's really interesting that the author would put these details in here. We've already been told back in chapter 2 that Eli is, is very old. 
And especially before the days of modern ophthalmology, it was not uncommon for people who were uh, older to lose their sight as they, got, uh, as they grew older. That's not unusual, and it has absolutely no bearing on this story whatsoever. So why did the author include it? It seems logical that the author, again, is using contrast as a literary device. Verse 1, again, tells us that prophetic visions were not widespread during this time. Immediately in the next verse, what does he tell us? Eli was losing his sight. There's no prophetic vision. The high priest can't see. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Eli, who was supposed to be the spiritual leader of the nation, is spiritually blind. Why was there no prophetic vision? Because the one who was supposed to have it is blind. And furthermore, notice where Eli sleeps. It says that he sleeps in his usual place. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, look in verse 3. Samuel is sleeping in the, the area of the temple of the Lord. So the guy who is entrusted as the high priest, who is known as the God guy, the one that is supposed to be top dog uh, religiously, uh, theologically, but also spiritually as well, he wanted to have his own room. And it doesn't diminish Samuel and his place, but it is to shame Eli. He has completely abdicated any responsibility that he is supposed to have spiritually. And whereas the church and the culture have become like uh, Israel of old here, where the word of the Lord was rare and no prophetic vision was, uh, prophetic visions were not widespread, many of our lives have become like Eli. We're sleeping on the job and we can't see. We're content to come to church on a Sunday morning, but we have absolutely no desire to engage in God's Word at any other time during the week. Other things have become more important to us. We spend more time learning how to live in the world that we live in through Tucker Carlson or Anderson Cooper than we do the one who wrote life himself. No wonder the Word of the Lord is rare in our day. But there is hope for us in these verses. And verse 3 informs us that before the lamp of God had gone out. Now we have to be careful not to allegorize everything here. But again, this is another detail that is too weird in this spot to, to miss. Yes, it is a time marker. Uh, in ancient Israel, in the temple, they would light a candle at uh, dusk and it would go out at dawn. So during the night, that candle represented the, the presence of the Lord. But make no mistake about it here. Here it is telling us that the light of God in Israel had not yet gone out. It was dim, but it was still there. And is leading us, as we read this, to see that God is about to do something that is going to change the course of human history. For us, our lives bear the consequence of not valuing God's word and treasuring it. We're sleepy and we're blind, but the light is not out yet. There is still time, and God still speaks. And that's why, secondly, we need to recognize God's word. We need to recognize his word. 
after all the silence, beginning in verse 4, we're to understand that God now is ready to speak, and he is ready to act. Back in chapter 2, we were introduced to a man of God who we said was a prophet that had a message for Eli. But now in Samuel, the Lord is going to make his intentions known. Look at this here. It says, Then the Lord called out to Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went back and, and lied down. And, and again, uh, once again, the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call you, my son. He replied, Go back and lie down. It's almost like we have that classic example of the kid who doesn't want to go to bed, right? Uh, you're laying there, oh, I'm thirsty. No, 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 just go to bed. Oh, I'm having this. No, 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 just, just go to bed. And Samuel's, uh, Eli's kind of pushing this off and pushing it off. We've all known all along that this is the voice of the Lord that is calling out to Samuel. But what we don't know yet is why either of these two don't recognize that it's the Lord. We've already established that Eli's sons don't know the Lord in the sense that they have no relationship with the Lord. Verse 7 tells us the reason for Samuel's part. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So what's the difference now between Eli and his sons and Samuel not knowing the Lord? It's one word. It's the word yet. Samuel did not yet have the word of the Lord brought to him. So we're left to assume that the Lord here is going to reveal himself to Samuel. Look in verse 8. Once again, for the third time the Lord called Samuel. He got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, if we were left to our modern senses... And this boy kept coming up to you and saying, I keep hearing this voice calling to me. Well, we'd probably be on the phone with a mental hospital because we got a teenager on our hands that's hearing voices. But here, given the context, Eli understands that something much, much, much bigger is going on. So he told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. So recall for a moment here now that, that Eli is spiritually blind. He's not very discerning. And it is shown that he is also spiritually deaf. He can't hear the voice of the Lord. The Lord's not calling out to him. And all these things that happen, it takes him three times in order to say, this might be God. Why don't you give it a shot? Now, I don't know what it's like to hear the actual voice of God. Uh, my theology leads me to believe that God doesn't, doesn't operate audibly anymore in those sorts of ways, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But one thing I can imagine is that Samuel, he's not sleeping tonight. If God had called him on the phone three times already and he didn't leave a voice message, you better believe he's going to be waiting by the phone for that next call. So Samuel is laying wide awake there, but this time the phone doesn't ring, but rather the doorbell does. Look at verse 10. 
Samuel came, uh, the Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Now, do you get what's happening here? Just in verse 1, it had said that at that time, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. And here, in the temple, both of them are happening at once. The Lord is appearing, and He is speaking. And I imagine that Samuel is, is both excited and scared out of his mind at the same time. So when he responds to God, notice that he doesn't even say everything Eli asked him to. Eli said, you know, make sure you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing. Samuel doesn't even say that. He says, speak, for I'm listening. He doesn't even address him as Lord. Samuel was learning what it meant to hear from the Lord. And although it looks different for us today, hearing from the Lord is a lost art. We're in a privileged position in comparison to Samuel and his contemporaries. Whereas Samuel is hearing audibly right now in this, in this passage from God, God is only revealing himself progressively. Samuel knew things about God that Moses didn't know. Jeremiah would know things about God that Samuel would not know. Malachi, the same thing. John the Baptist, the same thing. And as they received from the, the, the word of the Lord, they transmitted it verbally and also in writing. And what we have in front of us then in God's holy scripture is the very words of God. 2 Timothy says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says that uh, all scripture is inspired by God. And when you think about inspire, it's a breathe in, right? So it's coming from within God and it is expired out to us. And Peter explains it like this. He says, no prophecy ever came from the will of man. Instead, uh, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along is a nautical term uh, that, that means a boat being carried by the wind. And so as scripture writer, as these men were writing scripture, it was as if the Holy Spirit was blowing on them, leading them to write what God wanted them to write. And God was using their personalities and their circumstances to put on paper what would eventually be written on our hearts as we read it. Now, when it comes to recognizing the Word of God today, we can't be like Samuel. We can't wake up one night and, and, and hear our name called audibly by God. Why? Because the age of the prophets is over and done, and God only speaks now through Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so what we have in the New Testament is either the words and actions of Jesus or the explanation of his apostles and the explanation of his teachings and his, his actions. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us or guide us. It simply mean that, means that God will not tell us anything that is not from his word. So what does this mean? 
It means that we are to reject anything that claims to be God's word but doesn't come from the Bible. It means that when we meet anyone that says, God told me this and God told me that, that we meet that with a bit of skepticism. It means that we can say, I think God is leading me in this way or that. And we follow the, the inclinations of what God is doing in our lives. And it means that we affirm everything in this book is God's word. Whether we like it or agree with it or not. It means that when we open this book, that we open our hearts and we say to God like Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So we need to recognize his word. And finally, we need to obey the word of the Lord. We need to obey the word of the Lord. I want to make sure that I'm clear as I go forward here because I, I don't like to be misunderstood since it's very easy on a point like this. When I say that we have the obligation to obey the word of the Lord, I'm not saying that disobedience means that that's what gets us right with God. The, the, the fact is, is that you and I are both sinful by nature and we're sinful by choice. And sin is not what we do so much as what we are. Because we have this nature about us, it is impossible for us to obey the Lord as he has told us to, to have him turn his face against us and turn his wrath into goodwill based on our goodness. The only way that we can possibly be right with God is by the obedience of another. And in Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience, both active and passive, is what gets us right with God. The Bible tells us by faith and trust in him, his goodness and his perfection is written in our file. So when we go before God and he looks at our deeds and he opens it up, he doesn't see all those things about us that would have separated us from him, but rather he sees all the merits of Jesus Christ. And we are made right with him in that way. And when I say that we need to obey the word of the Lord, it is speaking to those of us who have already placed our hope and our trust in him. It is for those of us who have turned from our sins and have turned to Christ Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, then we have the privilege and we have the honor of hearing God's word and doing what he asks us to do and to abstain from those things that he tells us to, to leave alone. Not out of obligation, but out of thankfulness for what he's done for us and what he continues to do. But as believers in, in Christ Jesus, we have to understand that obedience to the will of God does not always come easy. Sometimes, a lot of the time, it, it's, it's hard. And there's a temptation to do those things, that, uh, to not do those things that we're supposed to do. And there's a temptation to do those things that we are not to do. We have the temptation to avoid it, to put it off or dismiss it. And it's hard to do those things. But look at how Samuel does it now in verse 11. It says, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something that <laughs> in Israel that will cause everyone who hears about it to shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his uh, family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity that he knows about. His sons are cursing God and he has not stopped them. 
Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out either by sacrifice or by offering. So imagine Samuel right now. This is all news to him. It doesn't appear that Eli was going around and telling the neighborhood, guess what, God's going to wipe out my family. This is something Eli had not disclosed to Samuel. And there's no doubt that Eli is going to ask Samuel about this interaction because guess what? God doesn't speak audibly very often. So verse 15 tells us that Samuel lay down to the mor until morning. Didn't say he slept. Doubtless he slept. I, I, I couldn't imagine sleeping. You're going to have to tell the hard words to essentially your mentor and your boss here. But as any other prophet or any other believer that has come before him or after him, it's time to stand up and to do what God has called him to do. Verse 12, he opened the doors of the Lord's house. And he was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli came to him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave to you, Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So now here Samuel is under threat. But he's got to obey the Lord. Just like Nathan would have to go before David. Just like Elijah would have to go before King Ahab. Just as Daniel would have to go before Darius. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have to go before Nebuchadnezzar. And just as John the Baptist would have to go before King Herod, nobody enjoys having to be the bearer of bad tidings. And today it's no different. For those of us who have believed on in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we carry a message that the world hates. A message that the world does not want to hear. For many, even the message of Jesus or the belief that sin is even a reality is a trigger. Entire governmental systems are inherently opposed to anything to do with God throughout the much of the world, especially in communist countries. To be a Christian is to be an enemy of the state. We're living in such a day and an age, we're even in Canada right now, there's a pastor who is sitting in jail right now and has been for a month because he conducted worship services during the pandemic. He has not even been charged with anything and he has been denied bail. He is officially considered a political prisoner. Iran? Well, that makes sense. Canada? And it's coming soon. And here in America, whether it's through the abortion debate or LGBTQ issues or even something as simple as saying Christ is Lord over the state and the state has no authority over how or when we worship. Well, that's, and anytime God is brought up in the public sphere, trouble arises. And I hate to say it, but it's going to increase and it's going to get worse. 
but we must be obedient. We must tell people that there is a God who sees. There is a God who judges, but there's also a God who pardons. And it is only through Christ that any of us, though we have multiple things with us, multiple sins, a sinful nature, broken past, mistakes that we've made, anyone can be redeemed. And that is good news, but only to those who receive it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells, tells us this. Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For, we, uh, for to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? Do you get what, what he's saying here? That you and I bear one message, and people will either see it as sweet, or they will smell the stench of death and want nothing to do with it. It's not easy. But Samuel lays it out for Eli, and we must too if we want to serve Jesus well. We do it with tact. We aren't reckless, but we, are, but we nonetheless grow. And in that growth, uh, in, in that obedience, we grow. Look at verse 18 here to the end. Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. And Eli's surprise response, well, he's the Lord, let him do what he thinks is good. And he's, he's resolved himself to his fate. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's called a merism, so it's, it's like from one end to the other and everything in, in, in between. Samuel was confirmed a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. You know, hearing my mother's voice uh, that day on the paper route may have saved my life, but I've learned that there's a greater voice to hear and to obey, to listen to, and to trust in. It is a word that doesn't just keep us from death, but it also provides us with life. Even in dark days when God's voice seems silent, he is still speaking. The question is, are you willing, like Samuel, to humble yourself before the Lord and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's pray. Father.